Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes, an internationally recognized scholar and post-trauma specialist, award-winning poet, diplomate senior Jungian psychoanalyst, and cantadora, a keeper of the old stories in the Latina tradition. Dr. Estes is the managing editor of the news blog, The Moderate Voice Dot com and writes columns on politics, spirituality, and culture for it and for the National Catholic Reporter online. Her book, Women Who Run With Wolves, Myths and Stories of the Wild Woman Archetype, sold over a million copies and was on the New York Times bestseller list for 145 weeks. She authored an audio series, The Dangerous Old Woman, and her latest book is Untie the Strong Woman, Blessed Mother's Immaculate Love for the Wild Soul. I heard her speak about this book at a trade show in Denver, and I was so profoundly moved that I really wanted to share this experience with all of you. So without further ado, Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes, it's a privilege to welcome you. Hello, how are you? I am well, thank you. What thank are you, you doing and where are you? I'm in Portland, Oregon. Oh, it's so pretty there. It's so it's pretty. What's your weather like today? Sunny, warm, mm. very un-Portland-like. Do you know what I heard? I heard that retirees, you know, which is my age group, people in their late 60s, that they would like to move there. That people are moving north instead of south. Don't you think that's interesting? I do think that's interesting. I, I think there's a very special atmosphere in Oregon in general and Portland in particular that is very laid back and, and friendly and welcoming and, and very alternative and spiritual, actually. Well, hold on to it because I think they're coming. <laughs> I'm not sure. The, the, what, what I read, and I find it interesting because it's part of, I think, a spiritual uh, concept, is that they say that people of our age group, which are the, I'm born in the first month, you know, the baby boom, many many years ago, and that um, they are looking for beauty and infrastructure rather than simply climate. That's very interesting because here in Oregon we have really all the different um, climates and scenery. We have mountains, we have rivers, Mm, uh, really. Seashore. Yeah. Okay, I'm packing my bags. Okay. <laughs> I'll be there soon. <laughs> I'll be the first. <laughs> very <to> nice. <laughs> <laughs> so it, okay, so you're in the river, mountain. Beautiful, my goodness, beautiful. Yeah. The rivers and the mountains, as you know, they figure uh, massively in mythology and also religious um, poetry that comes from all the holy books, that people, you know, that go to the mountain or the mountain comes to them or the god or the gods live on the mountain or they appear on the mountain and they speak to people on the mountain. It's a, a, every now and then they do speak to them on the road. <laughs> you know, they're walking. <laughs> they happen to be walking down the road or the sidewalk and then all of a sudden there's divinity right before them. But uh, the mountains and the rivers are particular and lakes. Mm -hmm. particular places, the desert, that the places where people apparently are much more um, aware, able to sense divinity than in 
all the cacophony that often goes on, uh, even in small villages, let alone cities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just a reduction of the, the distraction. We have desert, too, by the way. Yeah, it's a, I think you have everything. <laughs> you have everything there. That's great. My goodness. So, untie the strong woman. It's so interesting that you seem to be going through the ages of woman from the, the strong woman to the dangerous old woman and now the universal archetype of the Mother Mary. This is your first book in over a decade. Why did you choose to write a book devoted to the Blessed Mother? Is there something about this time in our culture, particularly against the background of what's happening in, well, on the USC? Well, first, of all, first of all, Blessed Mother is a, an idea, let's say, of a much larger idea. It belongs to everyone. And I wrote about her in part because she is my, she's my everything. You know, often people ask us, you know, Latinas, Mexicanas, um, they say, well, who is she to you, especially Our Lady of Guadalupe? And uh, we always say, mi madre, she's my mother. And she's my spiritual mother, my ideational mother, my creative mother, the mother of my bones, the mother of my everything. And uh, there is uh, a prayer, in, an ancient prayer, and it's about 500 years old, in Untie the Strong Woman book called the Memorare, the Memorare in Latin, means remember exclamation point like not just kind of sort of remember but like remember mm-hmm. and in it it says uh, never has it been known that anyone who fled to your protection or implored your help or sought your intercession was left unaided and this is the way that a holy mother is she is compassionate uh, if you were going to draw an equivalency in terms of uh, the way that uh, that particular archetype comes to us, you would draw it probably first to Kuan Yin or Kuan An, who is the mother of compassion, who looks down on all the suffering earth and says she will not ascend to Bodhisattva hood unless she can take all souls with her, all true self with her. And so she remains embodied somewhere, somehow on earth in many different ways in order to effect that. Holy Mother's principle is that, that she will not allow any of us to be alone, not allow us to be stranded, no matter what we do. And, you know, we can get stranded all by our own choices, as you know. We can all do things that um, paint ourselves into a corner, um, relationally, work-wise, family-wise, you know, in lots of different ways. But Holy Mother... Um, stands in the midst of all of that wreckage and offers her arms, her mantle, her compassionate eyes, her sweet voice, her everything. So I feel so strongly, especially now that I'm in my late 60s, to leave behind a true record of my life with Holy Mother so others might not be shy about their devotion to her also in whatever form that that takes. And so, Untie the Strong Woman book is essentially stories about other people, including myself, who've been deeply affected, healed by her, helped by her. Um, Probably about half the stories are about men who have been touched by her and 
turned their lives or changed their lives or been lifted because of their countenance with her. And um, also in this work, talk about how she has been buried, uh, annihilated in terms of her images and her devotees, how particularly in recent times, in our lifetime, my lifetime, in the communist era, uh, her churches, her icons, her paintings, her relics, her rosaries, her everything were banned uh, under pain of death, and her churches turned into office buildings and uh, sometimes museums with guides who would come through and speak about how people were demented uh, at one time before communism to have believed that she existed, except we never believed. We know her. There's a difference between belief and knowledge. And so I wrote about that, too, about how no matter what you do to her, no matter what prisons you put her in, she appears anyway. No matter what the churches say about who is worthy enough to <laughs> receive her, that she keeps showing up anyway, especially, of course, to people who are down and out. Why not? I mean, of all the people in the world, why would she only appear to people who are, you know, let's just say spiritually pure, if there is such a thing, which I sincerely doubt. But let's just say that she appears to people she has compassion for, that she has compassion for everyone, everyone. So the lack of the feminine, Godhead, the lack of the feminine divinity, um, is not uh, really in our culture. It's there, but it's put to sleep in many people's minds. And different people, as I said, you know, they call her by different names, thousands of names. And I've gone over quite a few of those in the book. But mm -hmm. in the main, the book is about Holy Mother, as she appears to people who have followed her literally for a thousand years and more. So the idea being that don't be afraid. If you see her, you know her. It's all right to say so. It is. It's all right. And not only that, it's needed in our time. It's very needed, this idea that you can be fierce and compassionate at the same time. In the Christian uh, stories, which, uh, as you know, because people have been hurt by organized religion often, they sort of get a sick green look on their face the minute you say Christianity or whatever it might be. There are various religions that have shunned people, that have gone to war against people, that have done horrible and hideous things. But setting that aside, the failure of human beings, at the core of those religions, something is carried secretly that is beautiful and that cannot be corrupted. And that's what I want to extract by writing this book, to bring what is incorruptible to the surface, despite, regardless of whatever might swirl around it that is completely imperfect and in some cases criminal, that we'll have to go retrieve the treasure and keep mm -hmm. it, protect it, take care of it, so that we are strengthened or that we're not without her, that we are connected to her through a heart of love. And I don't really have a, a, what I would call a doctrine or a dogma about what people ought call her 
or how people ought relate to her. Just only with love. Just love. Love insofar as we can. You know, as you know, we we all fall out of love, you know, several times a day in terms of falling out <laughs> of the loving heart, right? And then we have to climb back in again. There's no way to... Now, for most of us, anyway, if, especially if we're going to deal with this swirling culture around us, there's no way to stay in that beautiful chariot of the loving heart all the time. But her point is that she says, okay, so, okay, you fell out. You, know, you said something or did something or your tone of voice or you're this or you're that. Now get back in. Get, come back into my heart, my sacred heart, my immaculate heart again and proceed from there again. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Everything's okay. All is well and will be well. And let's go now. We'll go together. So that's the momentum behind my book. If you look at women who run with the wolves, you'll see her there too. She shows up in many different guises in Women Who Run With the Wolves, also in the Dangerous Old Woman stories, which is a oh, 900-page manuscript, 1,200-page manuscript and before edits of the myths and stories of the wise woman archetype. And you'll see her there, too. You'll see the miraculous woman, the woman of divinity, the woman who can bring life back to the dead. You'll see it in all of my work, because she has been with me since I was a little girl. Do you believe that there's a noticeable surge of experiences with the holy and the mystical in recent times? I think people talk about it more. At least I hope so. I think they hopefully talk about it, you know, in a grounded way. Mm-hmm. Because there is a hyper-fascination that can occur with phenomenon. You know, and people get taken with the idea that roses fall out of the ceiling or that such-and-such um, such, uh, miraculously is brought to life. and You know, whatever it might be, a thought system or a creative work or a person or whichever. And all of those things can be part of the phenomenon of our world. But the uh, heart of love, which is, you know, actually simple and non-phenomenological, it, it doesn't, it, it affects us, you might say, uh, visibly and invisibly. And it's not so much concerned with phenomena of uh, things to talk about, you know, the, the way that my grandmother used to put it is that to say that you see apparitions or visions, to say that you see Holy Mother or holy anybody for that matter is like running down the road yelling about that your heart is beating (laughs) it is so natural to us to access all worlds not just the consensual reality and i would i would agree with that i when i listen to people i'm looking for whether they're well grounded or not because you can carry much more momentum the more grounded you are you can carry much more of the phenomenon of the sacred, not, not meaning that you're sacred, because most all of us are muddy angels. We're, we're, not, we're not perfect people. But the, the phenomenon of holiness that you learn about and that you can tell and teach others and that you can, you know, use in your own actions, your own ideas in the world, the magnitude is increased by your groundedness mm-hmm. in reality. And the people who don't have much of that, they find difficulty teaching, telling others, helping, healing others, because um, they don't quite grasp 
you know, the dirt of it all. You know what I'm saying? The earthiness of it all. So I always sense that development of the mystical mind has aspects to it. One, of course, has to do with that which is of the invisible world, but the other has to do with that which is of this concretistic world, and blending them together, melding them together, so that those concepts are not abstract ideas or hyper-fascination ideas, but they are brought down to earth in some way. And in Untie the Strong Woman, for instance, there's a chapter called The Drunkard and the Lady, and it is about a man who had profound struggle with alcoholism, with a disease that had captured him. And he was also a stonemason. And he um, came through the recommendation of a friend to build a grotto to Our Lady for me in my backyard. And my idea was very, uh, well, it was very Latino, it was very immigrant, which is to take a clawfoot bathtub, take the feet off, um, dig a hole in the ground and put the bathtub in halfway. <laughs> and so that would form the arch of the cradle. And then you would put Our Lady statue in it. And then you would plant flowers around it. And then it would be so beautiful <laughs> in your front yard. So, and he said, no, no. He <laughs> said, I will build you. <laughs> and, but he was like literally weaving. When he walked, he was literally staggering. He was so drunk. And every day he would show up, and every day I would tell him about Our Lady. And he said, well, why do you want to build this? Who is she? And why, why are you so bent on doing this? And why do I see her in all the neighborhoods when I go around in the Latino neighborhoods? She's always in the bathtub somewhere. <laughs> and so we kept talking, and I wrote about him in this book. There's a whole chapter about how he was transformed, how he... Day by day, week by week, it took him almost a year to build what he had in mind, which was very, very beautiful. And there are pictures, colored pictures of it in Untie the Strong Woman book, of what the beautiful grotto that he built for Our Lady. And his, his drunkenness was taken from him. His mm -hmm. drunkenness was mm -hmm. set in abeyance mm -hmm. out of his love for creating through his own hands for her. Not for me, for her. Very clearly for her. He wanted to know about what had happened to the Nahua people, which are called the Aztecs by the Spanish. What had happened, really? And so he told them the story of Tonantzin, who is the goddess of the Americas, and how her temple had been torn down. And on that very hill called Tepeyac Hill, our Lady of Guadalupe appeared to an Indian, the Indian named Don Diego. And it was about 20 years after the conquest, which was a bloody, murderous, enslaving. I mean, I understand Spain was in the midst of the Inquisition when they came to the Americas. And they brought what now is called the Mexican Inquisition with them. They killed, they tortured, they maimed, they raped, they pillaged. They did the things that mercenary soldiers do in the world. Mm. And the poor people who were mostly farm people, you see all the kings and princes and princesses on the stele and on the pyramids and in the paintings in the caves and all that. That was the minority of the people, just as it is everywhere in the world. The majority of people were earth people. Yeah. They were farmers. 
they had the queen of Mayestic, they were corn people. So the, he wanted to know about that. And I said, well, the stories that we hear is that at the base of the temple in Mexico City now, the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe, that there are skulls and skeletons at the base that are the people who were enslaved in the people of several different tribes who were forced to build the basilica. And also that there is at the bottom the footers of the temple of Tonantzin, which was in fact true archaeologically. The conquerors, the conquistadores and the subsequent prelates who came from the Catholic Church from Spain, of which there were many, 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 and they came as landowners. They did not come as priests or holy people, oh, most yeah. of them. Yes. Um, they built upon the temple footings of the old temples. So that basilica that you see that is so Catholic and <laughs> covered over by the posters of the most recent pope, whoever it is, uh, at its base, Tomancin. I think that's a metaphor, really, for uh, much of organized religion, how it uh, tramples over the, the true faith um, and, and builds on, on these very strange foundations. I just uh, want to tell our listeners that we are discussing Untie the Strong Woman with our guest, Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes, and for all of you listening to the live show, uh, we'll be opening shortly to questions. So if you'd like to ask a question of Dr. E, the number to call is one 230 3062 And Dr. E has requested that the questions should be of general interest and not requests for guidance with personal issues. Can you uh, tell us the number again? Yes, it's one eight seven seven two three zero three zero six two. Thank you. Okay. Just for folks like myself who the minute I hear numbers, you know, I have a form of dyslexia that mixes numbers up, you know, I get them backwards sometimes. Just for that sake. <laughs> if there's anyone out there like me who gets <laughs> numbers mixed up, writes them down inverted. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. You were you were talking about uh, we were talking about the resurgence of mystical experiences, and um, the the reaction of the what you call the overculture is to ridicule people and to um, to somehow make these experiences as something abnormal, and you are trying to turn that around. You're doing it so beautifully with your your book. Um, how does one know if someone is having a, a true mystical experience or if you are indeed uh, getting schizophrenic? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I'm laughing because I think that that question comes to a mystic. Am I losing my mind or am I in another way of the mind. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Incidentally, I want to say to you, you have a beautiful voice. <laughs> Thank you. You do. You have a little songbird in your voice. It's very pretty. It's a lilt. It's very pretty. Um, the I would say it this way. 
if what you're receiving is toward goodness and toward love, if what you're receiving is toward goodness and toward love, then I wouldn't even question. I would just follow. If what you're receiving is revivifying to your soul, your heart, your spirit, you know, your animating force, your animating spirit, your soul, meaning true self, Mm -hmm. your heart, meaning your heart full of love, your sacred heart, then don't even question. There's no reason. Just follow what goodness there is with it. Um, Schizophrenia, as we understand it, is a... um, mental variance that seems to occur uh, as a genetic component to it and seems to occur with what we call adolescent onset, often late adolescence, early, early adulthood, and is very different. Um, when I worked on the war, the psych wards in my internship years ago in the early 1970s, um, we had many uh, Jesuses and many Blessed Mothers and many Mohammeds. And many, we have many people on the ward who felt they were a, a, a person, a deity, a holy person. And uh, their ability to organize that in their mind in order to do good in the world or in order to take care of themselves at the most basic levels was deeply uh, distressed. And so... Uh, Probably having a mystical experience won't cause schizophrenia because we believe it actually is a genetic component that occurs when babies are made inside the uterus um, and that eventually it, it comes to fruition. That's not to say that people can't say beautiful things when they carry that. They can, very much so. But the ability to carry it into the world in a way that can influence and support other people is often, um, it's it's very shaky often. Mm -hmm. And so more likely when people have, say, apparitions or um, appearances or dreams, like vivid dreams or um, what some people call lucid dreams, uh, sometimes they do question their sanity, you know, why am I seeing, well, ask, ask, what goodness are you bringing to me? Mm -hmm. What what are you asking of me? Holy Mother will ask of goodness. Holy Mother will never, there's, I have not come across it in my experience personally with Holy Mother, nor have I come across it in others who have a devout relationship with Holy Mother that Holy Mother will never ask you to do evil, will never mm-hmm. ask you to do cruelty to someone that is baseless or has nothing to do with anything. Uh, Holy Mother is love. She's love. She's fierce love. Some of her stories, as you know, from Christianity are she's pregnant without being married. <laughs> and on top of the whole thing, she says, I didn't even have sex, right? I didn't <laughs> even have sex. You know, you fools. I am filled with God. I'm I'm pregnant, filled with God. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants to stone her to death. Does this sound familiar? Yes, of course it does. For any person living on this earth who speaks of the divine in unusual ways, there's always a group of people who go death to the infidel. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then she says, uh, well, I am, and this is the way it is. And they do. They want to 
that in her time, 2,000 years ago, they stoned women to death who were pregnant without being married. And they do today, too, so. Yeah. That is the that. And not only that, these stories about Maria, Miriam, Mary, the mother, Ma, she's called so, so many things, Momo. She wants that child of love. That child is a child of divine love who does nothing but heal and love others and also call out some of the hypocrites of the time. And, and indeed, your book does have the feeling of an activist manifesto. It's interesting that the strains of ferocity and compassion are intertwined like the DNA. Um, what, what is the political context or the message that this book is trying to convey? Just what Maria did in the stories. She took the child of love and she became an illegal immigrant and crossed into Egypt with the child to save its life. She did everything to protect the child of love. Mm -hmm. What more would there be, whether you're involved in a demonstration, you're an activist, you're a prayerful person, or you're a healer, what more really are you doing than doing all you can to protect the child of love with inside every single person? Mm -hmm. Well, when you're focused, I know you, you understand this innately, when you're focused in helping and healing, not when you're going about it, you're grocery shopping perhaps, or, or when you're in some sort of little argument with your family member or something like that, but when you're focused, your heart of love is activated completely. And the idea, of course, with Holy Mother is that hopefully you might even have that activated when you are going grocery shopping and when you're in a bit of a consternation with a family member that you learn over time more and more to return to that center as quickly as possible. Hmm. When people are trying to connect to, 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 to um, find this, this uh, nurturance, um, how do they go about it? You, you say in your book that your grandmother told you that there was a shortcut to connecting with the Blessed Mother, and that was need. And I know I've seen so many books uh, where people have had a dark night of the soul, and they finally have no other place to turn, and they call out in their pain, and they're answered. Um, Sometimes they're answered by Holy Mother. Sometimes they're answered by what they see as angels or Jesus or God. Are they all the same energy or are they different energies? I don't, um, the word energy, I don't exactly understand. What I will put is a different way. That uh, the, it's like a mother who is always with us. Never gone. Never. Only because we don't see, only because we don't know any longer. You know, like I said, when you, when you have a huge nation of people like we do, but more than our nation, it's across the world. The Untie the Strong Woman is translated into many languages. And sometimes people say, oh, you know, it's religious. 
Well, yes, it is. And so are we. Religion doesn't mean a group of people who do bad things to other people. Religion, that's politics. That's <laughs> not religion. Religion, religio, the word, the actual word means to bind all the sheaves together so they don't fall over. Sheaves of corn, sheaves of wheat, to put a little loose tie around them so that in the wind and the storm they can grow and develop. That's what the word means. And yes, it's been subverted, of course, yes. There's most things, but that's our point. We want to reach in and take the treasure out and shine it up and protect it and bring it to life again in a new way. And our way might not look so much, you know, like some other people's way, but it's our way. As long as it's respectful, then it's holy. The minute we say, you must believe what I believe or else I kill you, that's the end. That it has nothing to do with holiness. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the so-called one true faith, the one true cross, the one true whatever. That's not true. It's not. It's political. It has to do with people wanting land and power and all manner of things. It has nothing to do with the sacred heart. Mm-hmm. How do men respond to your stories about the Blessed Mother? Deeply. Deeply. Men, um, I think, are drawn to the idea that they can be loved no matter what. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh And men, my experience of men growing up in an immigrant and refugee family is that the men were tormented and abused every day in their daily life out in the world by other men often who were from a, say, different thought system or maybe a different, especially economic class. Mm -hmm. And they were put down and they were uh, cheated in many ways and not given certain opportunities and were told, your place is here and nowhere else and you're to serve me. Seeing that in my own family men, my uncles, my father, my grandfathers, I, I felt this profound compassion for them. So that when the feminist uh, surge came from the East Coast, it was not something that I understood, in part because the Holy Mother was not a part of it. It seemed um, that it was important for many reasons, but also it did not reach down deep enough into the culture that we lived in. Where we live, there was no concern about that people worked long hours or they worked in factories, as my aunts did, and my uncles, um, that galvanized rubber that most definitely contributed to their demise with the pollution of mm-hmm. the body of all the workers. It, it did. It just did. And uh, we, you know, we didn't hear a great deal about it because no one came to visit <laughs> <laughs> Let me put it that way, uh, from from the East Coast so much. And so, although the social justice principles of Catholicism that I grew up with are very strong in my family and in myself, mm-hmm. uh, it felt like feminism showed up late to it, that we had carried those literally for centuries. And they were bringing it in a new way, in their own way. And many of the most well-known feminists who are still alive are my friends. They are close friends, in fact. 
And this is a different pathway to Holy Mother. Holy Mother would encompass feminism, but also much, much more, much more. A universalism, in other words, something that does not take people to task, but loves them, regardless of gender, regardless of what they've done, regardless of where they've been. Always opening up a new way of seeing that has to do with the sacred heart and the immaculate heart, the impeccable heart, the one that cares about other people in ways that one can. I mean, we're not all called to care about every single last soul on earth. We're called to hold them in prayer, certainly, but we're called specifically to certain groups and certain people within our reach. And there's where Holy Mother is, right there. Mm. Your your life's work really has been um, as a uh, worker with post-traumatic uh, uh, stress and, and uh, you worked with the Columbine survivors, 9-11 survivors and in prisons and addictions. How has your um, connection with the Holy Mother informed this work or, or is connected with this work? Uh, you know, the, the way I would say is that she walks in front of me and I follow her as much as I can. Uh, I hear her ask me to please do one thing or another. And sometimes it's very daunting, the places she has asked me to go and to bring her awareness. And the, as you see in Untie the Strong Woman book, there's a chapter called, um, I don't know if I can say that on your radio show. It's a vulgar euphemism that's used in our culture. But um, those working in what's called a children's prison, which is for children who are 12 to 18 years old, who they call here, chuns, C-H-U-N-S, children in need mm -hmm. of supervision, or children in need under supervision. And they are uh, children who have gotten into trouble one way or the other, often just simply by being abandoned and abused. And, um, but have done things that are against the law of the land. And so um, they wind up in a uh, locked institution uh, for a time. And there, a lot of the young people were wearing tattoos with a vulgarity um, tattooed across their arms, the girls especially. Um, so I brought Holy Mother to them, and I said, I would like to teach you, and if I can teach you, about Holy Mother, and you're convinced, and you understand that I could show you how to change that vulgar word on your arm into a beautiful, blessed word. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, over weeks and weeks of time, I talked to them about Holy Mother. And, you know, at first, as you can imagine, they were jeering, hooting, yelling, and not paying attention, and pretending to be asleep, and all manner of things that young people do in order to show contempt for people who are not them, who they don't think are on their side, who they think are untrustworthy. And, but gradually, over time, they begin to ask for stories of Holy Mother. Tell us about her. In part, I've never heard of a good mother before. Never. Never. Mm. Did not have a mother. A physical mother. Yes. A mother who will hold them and love them more if they had a mother, they would have a mother who was going, because I said so, get out of here, get away from me. Mm. You know, they would have a mother who 
was not present in herself yet, and hopefully would be someday, but not then. And so they were unmothered in a certain way, as, you know, all of us are. If you All of us are, absolutely. It's true. And so uh, to have a wise mother and a loving mother who is uh, ever, ever forgiving, would never, ever say, you did the ultimate and it could never be taken back now. You are condemned forever. You know, that that is one of the ways in which Holy Mother teaches. And I love that because, as you know, in organized religion, there's grown up a faction that tells what I believe to be a grotesque untruth. And that is that if you commit one thing out of the ordinary, out of holy um, purview, in other words, you step aside, you will be condemned to what some people call hell for eternity. And yet, at the head of this concept is a loving, creative God. There cannot be, those two things cannot exist together. There cannot be eternal damnation. And also a loving God. There cannot be, it's not possible. So we have to choose. Which will you believe? It's very much like the law of the land versus the law of men. The law of men is vigilanteism. Well, there's vigilanteism in religion. You can see it. I take the law into myself, and I poise it, and I use it as I wish, mainly from my ego, from my you know, desire for power over others, as well as to punish others and bring them under my control. And I can only do that if I scare them. Well, Holy Mother doesn't scare anybody. Holy Mother is love. Just love. Just we can rest in her. And yet, she she has this, you know, fierce component. Uh, you have this most amazing quote in your book that, that I just want to read because it's so juicy. Um, you say that um, the many ways she comes to us are not calm and decorous, but in my experience, more often she appears in times that are not calm and in clouds of dust that are not particularly picturesque. She comes skidding to a sudden stop in dark cars on even darker gravel roads. She stands in the midst of broken glass and at curbs. She walks in every street, stands at every street corner, even those where it seems that, as my grandmother Kerida used to say, maybe even God herself ought to be cautious. These circumstances are so different from the ways we think of seeing the Holy Mother, you know, like on a cloud, surrounded by light. So, yeah, Well, those are, as you know, many of the images of Holy Mother are actually commissioned by kings and by popes by other folks who have their own idea about her. And they wanted to elevate her into something pretty and pure, as you know. And, and who wouldn't the same with, I was looking at a Rembrandt the other day of the prodigal son's father who is receiving the prodigal son into his arms and he's robed in silks and he's got gold rings on his finger. We're talking about a culture of shepherds. You understand? Mm. <laughs> Yes, some people have those images, but frankly, I will believe the images of Holy Mother who appears in ways that people understand her best. And I sense that there are literally billion, if there are seven billion people on the face of this earth, then there have to be seven billion ways that she appears to each person so they can understand. Yes. 
and getting in touch, opening yourself to however she appears, is what your book is about. This is what my hope is, is that it is the beginning of remembering for people who had her once. There are many, many people who know her, but they were ridiculed out of it, or they were told, you have to belong to an organized religion in order to follow her. The thing is, she stands in and outside all religious ideas. She stands Mm -hmm. in them and outside of them. She's everywhere. Mm -hmm. She's not... The, the grotto that was built for me by the man who had struggled so with drunkenness, he also, you know, he's a sculptor. He was not just a stonemason. So he created a statue of Holy Mother. And she was just a little bit larger than life-size. And when he created her, the grotto, the opening, the archway of the grotto, she was too big to fit into it. So we called her <laughs> she who could not be contained. Yes. Her, her wideness was too big for the archway. So she sits in front of the arch rather than in it. And that's Holy Mother. She cannot be contained. You can build a church. You can build a concept. You can build a group of principles. You can group a doctrine. You can make a dogma. You can do all sorts of She's so much larger than that. And this is what I want people to know. I speak of my belief, my understanding, my knowledge of her, my knowing, my walking with her in order to inspire, not to say, you must do it my way. Mm-hmm. My, I mean, frankly, I wouldn't want to torment people with <laughs> my way. But I think that the idea of her in one's own way is an idea that strengthens, is an actual force of being that strengthens. And I believe that we are made poorer without her. It was in 1950-something or other that the Pope at that time declared that she had ascended into heaven, body, and soul, that she, in other words, she stood apart from human beings. And Carl Jung at the time, who was still alive, he died in 1961, he he was still alive at the time, and he wrote uh, in one of his works that it was the most momentous event that had occurred in 2,000 years of church history, that the mother sat on the side of God, Uh that the mother ascended to heaven full and whole and complete. And of course, she was called then the co-redemptress, which made all the Protestants go kooky looky because (laughs) (laughs) they didn't want to be thinking of her as the co-redeemer along with Jesus. We are so running out of time. I would love to talk to you forever. Um, Dr. E, where do people find out more about you? What is your website? Uh, It is, I think, I'm not sure. It's a little teeny website. uh, I think it's drclaricepincolaestes.com or it's cpestes.com. I'm not sure. And uh, they certainly can come to my Facebook page, which is drclaricepincolaestes. I'm there almost every day trying to say something that's helpful or useful to the people who are there. And also they can go to soundstrue.com if they're interested in seeing the audio about Untie the Strong Woman or the book about Untie the Strong Woman and also about Mother Night, which is also a whole other series about that which can be seen only in the dark. And others of my works there, including the dangerous old woman, the myths and stories of the wise woman. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for asking. Dr. E, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for your time. You're very generous. Thank you.
Goodbye. Next week, our guest will be the master of therapeutic humor, Alan Klein, discussing his book, Learning to Laugh When You Feel Like Crying. And now we're going to close today's show with our track of the week by the fabulous Gina Sitoli. It all comes down to love.
It all comes down to love. Another terrific song by award-winning singer-songwriter Gina Citoli from Minneapolis, Minnesota, in collaboration with Grammy-winning producer Barry Goldstein. As a performer, Gina offers an array of dynamic and thought-provoking shows, including an amazing one-woman musical called A Cabaret of Consciousness. It All Comes Down to Love won the best rock ballad in the Hollywood Spiritual Film and Entertainment Festival in 2004. You can order and download her music from CD Baby or from her website, ginacitoli.net, G-I-N-A-C-I-T-O-L-I dot net. Well, that wraps up our show for today. If you enjoyed our show and are looking for more inspiration, check out the great books, films, blogs, and interviews on our website, ncreview.com. I hope you'll stay in touch by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ncreview. And if you enjoyed our show, I hope you'll tell your friends. So until next week, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.